Access Supports for Living presents Built for This, conversations sharing the expertise of our team with the greater community. Access and our affiliates, the Guidance Center of Westchester, Meaningful New York, and NIFAC are dedicated to helping people live the fullest and healthiest lives possible. With nearly 20,000 people supported, Access provides cutting-edge supports to those with mental illness and substance use disorders, people with developmental disabilities, individuals and families facing housing insecurity, and children and families in your community, and more. The first episode of Built for This covers transitions children and families are facing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. From moving in and out of virtual schooling, to navigating temporary school and program closures, to inconsistent and limited socialization, children and teens are struggling to find stability, and it's having profound effects on their development and mental health. Today, we will be speaking with Applied Behavioral Analyst at Access, Stephanie Riccardi. Stephanie has supported families in schools, clinics, and communities for over 10 years. I'm your host, Ron Calavito, President and CEO of Access Supports for Living. Let's get started. Stephanie, welcome. Um, Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we're going to get right into it. So um, we were talking in my intro around transitions. So how do sudden transitions like classroom or school closures, how are they affecting children and teens? And, And what are some of the behaviors that that parents and and, and maybe even teachers should be looking out for? Um, So in regards to transition, it's loss of routine, right? Like kids with developmental disabilities, kids with autism, they love having some type of routine. And when we throw a wrench into that routine, kind of all hell breaks loose. Um, You know, you could have some kids who go with the flow and they can be like, all right, cool, we're just going to do this today and they can handle it. Other children, unfortunately, don't... um, don't handle those transitions easily. You're going to see more of a behavior spike in terms of what they can tolerate. Um, We'll see a lot less tolerance for basic things like brushing your teeth, washing your face, uh, sitting down and eating breakfast, changing your clothes. Um, Other students may just totally, I'm not going to school today. That's it. I'm staying in my room. My day is over because I can't, I don't know what my next functions are. Um, You know, teachers should definitely be on the lookout for things that they notice in school that they can then send home to mom and dad. Like, hey, listen, you know, we told Joey that there's no gin class because of COVID or whatever. Um, You know, he was really upset just so you know, he might go home with that. And parents should also relay that back to teachers too. Listen, Susie had a hard time getting on the bus this morning, just letting you know this might be a little bit of a rough day for her. Uh, Communication, I really, really feel is key when it comes to this stuff because we're in this really weird really weird world um, where we don't know what's going to come next. We get new new guidances almost every day. Um, so I really think that communication can help kind of clear the air in those things. So we so when we do know a transition is coming, sometimes we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even using an example, maybe not COVID related, but transitioning from the school year to the summer, for example. So just, um, but, or any example, what, what should parents or, or caregivers be, what can they do to prepare for those transitions? Talk about it early and often. Um, you want to bring that up. You want to talk to your children about, hey, listen, school's ending in a month. School's ending in three weeks, two weeks, one week, four days. Um, we have to talk about what we're going to do when school ends. You know, Are you going to summer camp? Are you going to see your cousins that you visit every summer or your aunt and uncle? Um, talking about it lets it sink in, lets the kids kind of get used to, all right, these things are going to be topics that are going to be coming up more and more. If you just spring it on them, you're going to see almost like an entire halt of everything um, because I don't know how to prepare. What's going on? 
But if mom and dad say, hey, you're going to Susie's for 4th of July. Okay, 4th of July. We talk about fireworks. We talk about the things, barbecues, pool parties, um, all those kinds of things. You need any and any transition aside from just school and summer. Um, early and often communication about it. Pictures help. Um, speaking to those family members or friends help. Anything that you can kind of alleviate that anxiety. Um, because when you have that much anxiety surrounding something, you, you can't can't function the way you normally would. And so alleviating that is definitely helpful. So I am the parent of two teenagers who really don't want anything to do with me anyway. <laughs> but um, how, how, is this, how, how is this different? How are ch- younger children versus teenagers coping with these types of transitions? And, and, and how, how, does that, how does that appear and how is that different? And what, what should be considered, I guess, is really the question. So uh, I, I think I see what you're asking. And... Um, Teens, in a way, are easier and harder. You know, teens know by now the kind of flow, like school ends, summertime comes, but they also get stuck in their ways, right? They want to see their friends. They don't want to leave. They want to stay here. Um, in, in terms of teenagers, you kind of have to do, like, the compromise, push and pull, what's worth it, what's not. Um, I know when I was a teenager, I was a tough one, and I stood my ground, and I held firm with my mom and dad, and so I'm sure many teens are the same way. Um, you kind of have to work with them in, in a weird sense. Kids, for as much as they may throw their temper tantrums and a, a behavioral struggles that they'll have, they kind of go with it easier because they get excited about those new things still. It's still fun. It's still, oh my God, I get to see my cousin Joe. You know, that's all novel. Um, as you get older, it's tougher. Um, but there's a lot of a lot to say when it comes to like uh reinforcement systems and and things of that nature not that everyone holds true to them at home i know home is completely different but hey listen you do this for me this week we can do what you want to do next week and having that compromise really kind of makes things flow a bit easier so so i think that really leads into what i was going to ask you next is what are those you know what are some other examples of how parents um and, and caregivers within the family unit create stability for children when we have all this different kind of change going on you know i used a a basic example around school ending and summer beginning, but we're also talking about um, individuals that have maybe some disabilities and some challenges that add in another layer that we need to be that we need to be thinking about. So, what are some real concrete examples for um, families? Um, I always schedules. Schedules are something that I implore. We use them day to day, right? I keep a calendar on my phone that tells me what I'm doing. You know, we use them, and so I think. Things get lost in translation a bit when you talk about kids with disabilities and younger children versus the schedules that we use day to day. Our schedule is the same as theirs. It just looks different. Um, You know, having something on a board, whether they can read, depending on their their functioning level and all that, you can use pictures, words, time, whatever you need to use. But keeping something in like Grand Central Station of your home, whether it's the kitchen, whether it's the living room, say this is what's going on for the day. Doesn't need to be very, very specific because, you know, things happen. Um, but we're going to have breakfast. We're going to get on the bus. We're going to go to school. When you come home from school, you're going to have basketball practice, then dinner, then homework. And then you can even put like surprise fun times or, you know, play games with dad, go to grandma's house. Um, but schedules, I think, are something that we get away from because we it's annoying to keep up with. Yeah, it's tedious. But doing it early on makes your day and, and your child's day just so much smoother because they know what's going on, you know what's going on, there's accountability there. Um, so schedules is definitely one. Another one I use a lot is, is reinforcement systems of any kind. Um, you can say, hey, listen, we're going to do A, B, and C, and if you do it, you get to earn this reward. 
Um, you don't really want to take things away because if you take stuff away, you kind of it's like, all right, well then what am I working for? I'm going to do whatever I want anyway because I'm not earning anything. So I always talk about like a pie in the sky. Like you have something up there and it, it's up to your child to do what they need to do to get there and earn it. If they don't earn it, they don't earn it. Okay, we try again tomorrow, but it's not taken away. It's just this thing in the sky that they can earn if they get there. Um, those two things I think are, are tried and true. I think they really, really make a world of difference. Um, it's the consistency that's, that's harder to do. Um, but, and, and no one's asking you to do it all day, every day. Try it two, three times a week just to get into the groove, see how it goes. Um, and then it'll become habit as the longer you do it. So Stephanie, you were talking um, a bit and just, you just explained to us some of the positive rewards, um, or the pie in the sky kind of things that you said. What what are some real concrete examples of those things that parents can use? Um, screen time. As much as I am not a fan of screen time, that is a huge one that kids love. Um, so they, you know, if they get access to the iPad during the day, I'm not saying take the iPad away for 23 hours and only give it to them for one, but say, hey, listen, after dinner, you can watch like a special movie or something on your iPad. Um, if it's a video game, same thing. Uh, I know some families who keep the controllers kind of locked away until like Friday, Saturday, Sunday when it's the weekend. And if, you know, their child earns X amount of stars in school or, you know, whatever that that system is, they get the video game system back for the weekend. Um, I know some kids love painting and drawing and will go through boxes of crayons in a week. And so, uh, though that's a great thing to have, you also don't need 150 paintings a day on your wall. So be like, all right, we're going to spend an hour painting Give them something um, to paint, not just say, hey, go paint whatever you want. Hey, paint mommy a picture of your favorite animal or, you know, paint your cousin a picture of her puppy, you know, and give it as a gift. So to make it a little bit more functional as opposed to it just being painting for the sake of liking to paint. Um, So, yeah, those are some examples. You could also do uh, not tangible things. I, I know especially in this world that we're in, parent attention is a huge one, right? Like we're stuck on the computers all day. Kids are stuck on their computers all day. Like they want mom and dad's attention. Set aside time, 20 minutes even, just to hang with your kid. How was your day? What'd you learn? What do you want for dinner? Those things, you know, we always say like set time for your kids, but that 20 minutes will make such an impact. Like you don't realize it now, but kids will tell me, mommy told me the other day about school and what she was doing for work. And and it becomes a conversation for weeks on. So, um, you know, not always a tangible, but just that attention, that that affection that kids crave. That's also a really good one to have. So socialization during the pandemic. And and, I mean, you know, then we have specifically virtual learning, you know, as as an element. How are um, how are those things impacting children and teens? Tough. It's tough. I mean, I am a giant social person and staying home all the time is tough for me. I can imagine for kids with like an unsatiable amount of energy, you know, they want to see and talk and play all the time. Um, You know, for as great as virtual learning is that we were able to get through the pandemic and stuff and kids are still able to learn, socialization is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Um, I always try to tell parents to look for uh, like outdoor after school programs, or at least try to bring your kids to the park, let them just run and let them just be kids. Uh, I mean, you know, I, my nephew, I brought him to the park up here not too long ago and just some, some kids that he's never met before. They were running around for like three hours and it was the greatest time and he doesn't know them and he'll probably never see them again, but it's just, you just have to expose them to it. 
Um, and kids will just be kids and just let them be. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff these days about like, oh, this kid's doing that and that kid's doing this and like monitoring every move that everyone makes. And I think we forget to just let kids be kids and just let them have fun. Um, in this like weird COVID world, you can do play dates on virtual. It's kind of weird, but you can. Um, I know there are some like Lego groups that kids have joined where they all work together and make um, like they all get a set at home and they all make a specific thing with an instructor on, on the Zoom call. Um, there are things, but I'm just glad that, you know, springtime's coming. People can spend more time outside and, and kind of sort of get back to whatever we considered normal now. Yeah. So, so on that note, so, you know, putting all politics aside. Yes. In this, um, <laughs> yes. We, we, we are really seeing um, in some ways the end of the pandemic, at least from how, how people are um, protecting themselves or yeah. isolating. We're seeing that change and, you know, as we're approaching kind of the spring. Yeah. Um, there are, though, going to be long-term impacts on, yes. on children related to what they experienced in the pandemic, whether, whether we're still living through that on the ground or not. So um, what, what do you think are some of those, those impacts, and what can parents be doing now to, um, you know, to help their children as, as they move back into more social what we would consider more normal yeah. um, environments? Um, long-term impacts... So I've met some children who are very, do not want to touch anything. I don't want to call it germaphobes, but definitely much more wary about bacteria and germs and washing their hands a hundred times a day and things of that nature. Um, there, there are some children that have actually developed, like mom and dad are putting plans in place to get them to not wash their hands as much just because it's becoming, uh, their hands are becoming dry and cracked and bleeding and things like that. So we are seeing some kids um, go that route. You have other kids who, honestly, like you said, don't know how to socialize. They don't know how to be around people that, you know, going to the store and, and buying groceries. We, you know, we all got our groceries delivered or we did like one trip on a Sunday at two o'clock in the afternoon and then that was it for the week. Um, so, you know, we have to kind of get back to what it is to sit in a gro- uh, go to a grocery store or sit in a restaurant and have other people touch your plates and like be okay with that kind of stuff. Um, so that is going to take some like kind of desensitization to do. Um, I wouldn't go from zero to hundred in, in one shot. I think that that's just going to blow up in your face. Um, but I do think that if you would go to a, you know, a, a deli and pick up a couple things and go home and just see how that goes a couple of times and then slowly integrate more and more just so your child gets used to, um, what that is. I mean, you know, we've lost almost two years of like this weird isolation and kids who are four to six, like that's a, a big jump in what they're able to do, what they understand. Like those are, those are core years. And so I think they need to kind of get back into the groove of that. Um, parents should definitely be on the lookout for what triggers their kids, um, like precursors to behaviors. If we're seeing crowded areas be a thing. And I mean, again, we're all home alone with people we know and we're comfortable with going to a big crowded area, you know, a big barbecue in, in May, cool, but it may not work out well. Um, make sure wherever you go, there's like a quiet space that you can pull to the side. If you go to a grocery store or something, even if outside of the store in the parking lot, you just go back with your child and just take a five second cool down, you know, just to recalibrate. Um, I, I think those are big things. You have to know your kids and I'm sure all the parents do, but when it comes to these precursor behavior things you kind of have to have an extra eye 
to understand what the situation is and, you know, what's comfortable, what's not comfortable and how to handle that. So you mentioned going to the barbecue and we've talked about teenagers and young children. What about really young children, those that don't qualify for the vaccine? How do parents balance that as we become more social and, you know, we want to get our kids out to be socializing, but we also want to be doing so safely? Um, so that's a good question. I, the way I would handle it would to talk about like that hand washing, that um, personal hygiene kind of stuff. Like you're good, kids are going to go out, they're going to play in the dirt, they're going to get messy. That's just what kids do. Um, but, you know, making sure that they keep their distance. If they get something from someone, wash your hands, you know, especially before you eat, after you eat, definitely wash your hands, the bathrooms. Um, even if you someone wants to share their drink, let's teach our kids, hey, let's get our own. Let's ask mommy for our own. Um you know, kids don't think about this stuff. This is always on the forefront of our minds, though. And I think that if we're able to kind of go through a checklist, like before you get to the barbecue, like, listen, if, if you're thirsty, come ask mommy for something to drink. If you're hungry, let's go wash our hands before we eat. If you could just have three or four rules, not anything crazy, because it'll be in, in the air and out on the other, you know, in a second, but just a few things that you can kind of really solidly give, the kids will listen because they want to keep mom and dad happy and they also want to have fun and play. And so if all I have to do is wash my hands and ask mom for a soda, okay, I'll do it. Um, and so that I think is the best we can do now. Um, you know, with the vaccine eligibility and all that kind of stuff, I'm not sure even where we, where we are with all of that anymore. Um, but at the same time, we can't keep limiting ourselves socially as humans because we're, we're social people. And eventually we just have to get out there and do it. It's just doing it, like you said, safely. And that, I think, is the best way to do it. Well, Stephanie, thank you. I know you can talk about this for hours and thank hours you. and hours and maybe days. Yes. Um, how, can, how can someone get a hold of you if they need help, whether it's a parent, maybe someone who's hearing this who works in a school district that's working with a child? How can they find you? Uh, so you can go to accesssupports.org um, and go through the website and get me there. Or you can call me. Uh, my number is 845-645-2496. And uh, we can connect and work on getting you supports. Thank you again for being here Thank today. Thank you, Ron, again um, for having me. You're welcome. Next episode, we will be speaking with members of our Greater Access Employer Network about the challenges faced by people with disabilities seeking meaningful employment and how you can help. Join us next time on Built for This. Healthy communities start here. Earn and learn with us. We offer competitive pay, tuition assistance, professional development opportunities, and excellent benefits. To join our family, visit accesssupports.org. That's accesssupports.org.